You're listening to the Mini Market Podcast presented by Tellum Sports. Episode 9, the Mini Market Podcast. I am Dalton here with Connor, Lucas, and Isaiah. Fun fact the average podcast only lasts eight episodes, and this is episode 9. So the Mini Market Podcast is officially above average. Busy week in the Minnesota sports world. Headlined by the Minnesota Wild, absolutely killing it. Connor, tell us about your Wild. Well, happy to be back, episode nine. It's exciting to be here. The buzz is in the air. You got to ask the question, are the Wild the best team ever? Um, The Wild have won six in a row. And uh, we should note that five or six of those were against the uh, three California teams. Got to beat Cali. Still getting those those Ws. Yeah, crushing Cali. Um, The Kings... Though we're on a six-game winning streak coming into the series against the uh, against the Wild, so that was kind of a big sweep for them. And the Kings were super hot. Everyone was kind of saying, "Oh yeah, these these guys in their mid to late thirties that won a cup like seven years ago are they're looking good again." Um, but one thing to add is during that uh, the the Wild stretch there, they assaulted the Avalanche, which was really fun to see. Big time. I was Big nervous time about win. that game. I was like, oh, if we can just get a point, that'd be great. And then the Wild hang a six spot on them. So uh, many people thought the Avs had a good chance of winning the division coming into the year. So that was a pretty pretty nice stopping to put on them. Um, now you got to look at the Wild schedule coming up, though. They do have the Blues and the Coyotes and the Golden Knights coming. Um, the Blues and the Knights are, are probably likely playoff teams this year. Uh, a lot of people... Kind of 10 games into the year, said the Knights look like they are the favorite now. Originally, like I said, the Abs were, but the Knights look super good right now. So I think they'll have a good chance uh, at being the top seed when it's all said and done. And the Coyotes are borderline bipolar as it comes to teams. Uh, they're super good one night, and then the next night they just look like garbage. So you just hope to hit them on those the bad nights. So the next 11 games, yeah, there's four against the Knights, five against the Desert Dogs. Oh! And uh, two against the Avs. So the Wild will have to have a good stretch, a good 11-game stretch there to kind of keep, keep up with the top top four grouping and, and separate ourselves from the basement dwellers of the league. Because the Wild are only one point back of, uh, of the Knights right now, right? In the West, I believe they're in second place, only one point back. Those will be some big matchups. So that's big time. That's great for the Wild kind of uh, right up there. And I do think the Knights maybe have a game or two in hand. So... They, uh, they're in a good spot as well. But in terms of individual performers, uh, I mean, Kirill Kaprizov, he's, he's been everywhere, all over, all over Twitter, Instagram, everything hockey. I mean, it's finally like the Minnesota Wild have a player that's actually like nationally recognized as a top dog. Like Suter and Parise, when we got them, they were good players in the NHL, but they don't add like they're not super creative. They're not like the extra level where they're, you know, the, the Ovechkins where they just do things and you look at them and say, wow. And I'm not saying Kaprizov is Ovechkin or Crosby, but he has these moments where you're just like, this guy is insane. Mm-hmm. And he's just, he's just a spark plug for the wild. When he's on the ice, every wild fan edge of their seat, ready to roll. Just like, what is he going to do next? So that's been a ton of fun. It's an me. absolute riot watching him play. Like it's so yeah, fun. I was, And that's yeah. coming from a non hockey guy, but 
just seeing him out there, you're like, I'm just, I'm not even watching the puck. I'm just watching him. What's he going to do? The way he skates, like he's, he, he's like a superstar, but he's a hardworking one, which is like, I think that fits really well with the mold for Minnesota of like, this dude's good. He's got talent, but he also is not like, he's going to wear himself out over the course of a night. Cause he's skating so hard. And that I think is why part of why people are starting to glue onto him here. Yeah, certainly. Dalt, did you have a stat there for us as an analytics pod? We might as well sling some in there. Oh, I just saw that he has eight points in the five games, uh, the last five games. So that's pretty huge. And he's got a huge cushion over the rest of the rookies in the league. He has 17 yeah. points. The next closest is 12. Looking like a lock for rookie of the year at this point. Yeah, he uh, he, he is going to make it interesting for our uh, earlier in the season. I think we set a goals over under and I was feeling pretty good at taking the under for a little while, but he's going to make it interesting if he keeps playing like he is right now. Um, he looks sweet. So that's huge. Uh, kind of to build on that a little bit, his line, Zuccarello and oh, Rask, no. I would say two of most Minnesota Wild fans' least favorite pro- players coming into the season. Rask looked terrible. We traded him for Niederreiter, which people loved Niederreiter. So then to trade him and get Rask, a center who's slow, who seemed like he couldn't do anything in the offensive zone, that felt brutal last year. And then Zuccarello was like one of the worst offseason signs in the NHL last year. He just really wasn't productive at all. Then he's injured at the beginning of this year. Everyone's kind of like, what a brutal five-year sign. And then he just comes back and in 11 or sorry, in seven games, he's got 11 points. This guy is a point machine. And Rask, despite the fact of, the fact of being slower than a wheelchair in mud, is like really effective on ice. So that line has just been awesome. I saw a tidbit. Somebody put out an article that Rask actually speaks like Finnit or uh, Norwegian and Russian. And I think he's Austrian. And, uh, and so that's where Zuccarello is Norwegian and, uh, and Kaprizov's Russian. So somebody was joking like that's why because they can actually communicate as opposed to like some of the people on the team. So who knows? Maybe uh, maybe that's part of it. But that's yeah, been kind of fun to see that line just come to life. I thought you were going with there that he would just be able to be, you know, trash talk in three different languages to pretty much everyone across the NHL there. <laughs> Whoever wants it can get it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's like blah, 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 blah in all different languages just telling you to... He just goes one. Rocks. If they don't, if they don't react, then he goes the next one, and then finally, you know, he's just got three bullets in the chamber. Hunter was blah 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 blah. Was that Russian or is that Norwegian? Just that was French. <laughs> I'm surprised he didn't pick up on that. Anyways, moving right along, uh, the next person I want to touch on was Greenway. Uh, I wrote a piece actually about him coming back from the COVID break. He was leading the team in points going into the break, and uh, and he's kind of sputtered out a little bit, but. I think the one thing to note about him is he's like a hard, hard nosed player and he plays really physical, which the wild need because they have some finesse players. So I'd love to see him kind of get more scoring chances and get on the uh, get on the score sheet a little bit more. But I'm excited about how Greenway's playing Big penalty guy, too. He had the fight early in the year, like two seconds into a game, right? Just dropped him right away. Yeah. Oh, and he feeds people in fight because he's like six, six, too. So it's like such a huge advantage. His reach is unreal, but he's just a tough guy and. Yeah, he's fun to watch, and he he does create in the offensive zone. He's not like a like a Derek Bugard, rest in peace. But like he couldn't really play like the offense as well. He was he was like a solid defensive player, hit guys, and fought really well. But now in the NHL, you got to be you got to be able to play the game and be a be a fighter if you're going to be in those roles. Yeah, the era of the true enforcer has ended, and I think it's probably for the best. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think 
everyone who's like, you know, quote to your hockey guy will say like fighting has a place in the game, but it's, it's structured chaos. Like it's meant to be structured. And there was no better way to show that than um, the Felino fight. I think it was against Colorado, but I might be wrong. And he cut this guy like legit, like punched him and gashed his eye. And he called the fight before the refs. I'm not sure if you guys saw that on Twitter or anything, but he basically like had this guy, he could have pretty much knocked the lights out if he wanted to, but he was a rookie trying to earn his stripes, trying to earn some, earn some rapport with his teammates and went into a fight against Felino and Felino just kind of looked at the refs like, Hey, let's break this up before I kill this kid. And I think that's like hockey. The fighting hockey culture right now is like, it's, it's like not, it's not always just like, let's bash people's heads in. It's like, there's some strategy. It's to fire your team up, to earn respect, to protect your teammates. And I think a lot of hockey guys will tell you that fighting will never go away. It's just a part of the game, but it's always trying to be controlled with it. Well, if you ever played chell, you know, you win a fight, you get that full line energy boost. That's massive. You know, that's a big big swing in a game. Even if you lose the fight, you get a little kick up. So it's important. Yeah. 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 Going back to the Felino thing though. Uh, I think that's really just, you know what that is? That's just being Minnesota nice. You know, he's just giving the Wild another good name around the league. So good for you. Good for you. Sent him on his way with a uh, hot dish when he was done with him, too. That brings (laughs) up a question for me. If you're that guy who Foligno is fighting, would you rather get like continue to get your ass beat or have what happened happen where he's like, okay, I clearly could win this fight. I could pummel you, but... I'm going to like pity you and like stop fighting. Like, I don't know. I feel like it's a pride thing a little bit where you almost would maybe rather try to battle it out. But I, I think there's probably enough mutual respect where you say, okay, I appreciate that guy. And, and I think veteran fighter or veteran guys who can fight will do that with younger guys. Cause sometimes younger guys get in a scrap just because they want to, they want to prove to the boys that they're, you know, they're, they're, they're dedicated to this team and they'll do whatever it takes. And the guy who fought Felino was not a fighter. He was just trying to stick up for a teammate who got hit pretty good earlier. So I think it, I think he was probably looking back would be like, yeah, thank God he didn't because he could have shoveled my face in and I'm out for three games and that's a whole nother can of worms probably. Yeah, but as as a young guy, you know, trying to earn your stripes, you know in the locker room he's got to be going, oh man, I had him right where I wanted him. I can't believe the rest. One more punch. Yeah, come on. But, you know, real life, he's given he's given him like a little little wink like, ah, hey, thanks, buddy. Appreciate it. <laughs> Slipped him 20 bucks on the way to the box. Yeah, he's like, appreciate that one sport. Um, yeah. So then the last person I want to talk about was my guy, Jewel Erickson. Um, I'm excited. He's finally the center they thought they drafted. He's been a really good defensive center his entire career, but he's uh He's he's killing it. He's he's offensively he's doing great. I think he's leading the team in goals, or he's like a top three in goals on the team, and as well as points. So leader with eight. This, he's the leader with eight. Thank you. And so it's fun to see him kind of come into his own and be a productive member on both ends of the ice. Um, that that'll be huge for the Wild to get. They they really everyone in the league knows they lack center depth, so that's huge to have a center that's contributing like he is. And then just kind of a note to end it. Yeah, the wild. It's fun. It's exciting. I mean, not to rain on the parade, but it's like the total opposite of the wolves right now. Like the wild, they're on the up and up. They, they're playing hard. They're doing well. And, uh, and it's, it's fun to watch. I think there's a few players that need to step it up really to get them over the edge. But overall, as a team, they're playing great. So go wild, baby. Who are they? Call them out. Jared Spurgeon, you can't be a plus minus zero 
I need you to be scoring points. Where the C with pride. Come on, four points on the year, dude. I would yeah. like to see a little more. He does a lot in the defensive zone, but to be a plus minus a zero is basically like you're not playing. Hey, I mean, my plus minus is technically zero, right? So right. just saying. Dalt, as a Miko Koivu hater, how does it feel to have a worse captain? Is that worse? I don't know. I don't know if that's worse. It's not good, but it might not be worse. I think it also really helps the Wild that they have right now. They have two goalies who are playing really well. True. I mean, it's it's good to know that you can have you can give a guy a night off, and you're not your team. It's not like a guaranteed like you're going to have to score four goals to win. Like you have whoever's back there. I think the team trusts them right now, and that's that's going to be helpful now and helpful if we you know if we make it to the playoffs. Yeah, and I saw today, I think, or on Sunday when we're recording this, the Wild sent Alex Daylock on assignment, so he has to clear waivers, but he's coming off an injury. But yeah, Capo Kakinen has, I think, won the last five games for the Wild, so he's kind of on a heater. And really, he was our third goal, third goalie coming into the season. So if we can get solid contribution with him, he's gonna. There's gonna be a goalie controversy on who the Wild are gonna keep and who are they gonna send down with. With uh, with Staylock and then also obviously Talbot, so it's really fun to see them them playing well in the pipes. So could the Wild lose Staylock if someone if another team claims him? Yeah, they said the most likely team that I was reading was Buffalo. They really need a goalie, and so but he is still injured. Like this is a rehab assignment, so it's if they take him, they have to keep him on their NHL roster, I think. And so we'll see if they if they want to do that, and then have him try to get games and kind of get back in the swing of it in the NHL would be interesting. I just had uh, two more things, quick things about the wild um, shout out to you, Connor. First of all, they've been in this six game winning streak. They have been dominating California. Exactly. Like you Dylan said, they Galley. must be listeners. What's up wild. If you're listening, hope you are uh, Two, you know, some of these teams aren't that great. You know, we know that, but, this is what winning teams do. This is what great teams do. They're winning the games that they're supposed to win. So I really love to see that. Fun to watch. Yeah, they're the hottest ticket in town. Unlike the lovable losers, Isaiah's Minnesota Timberwolves. Ike, since the last pod, moved on from Ryan Saunders. Really rough week for us on the over-unders uh, with the, the over-under <laughs> 25 games left for Ryan Saunders as head coach and Pod's not even posted yet, and he's fired. But they they hired Chris Finch. Uh, I think D'Lo had his surgery, his knee surgery, since the last pod. Um, we'll clean up there. But Ike, you have any takes on the Wolves and the direction of the team? I mean, if your hand, if the palms of your hands aren't sweaty just thinking about the Timberwolves, you're not a real fan. Because I'm starting to get really nervous that this Timberwolves organization won't be a Timberwolves organization for a lot longer. Um, <laughs> I said on the last pad, I'm a Ryan guy. I liked Ryan Saunders. I thought that he was had the potential to build something with this organization and with this team. Uh, but I think what happened is Rosas is uh, seeing that clock start to tick a little bit faster. Uh, he knows he has limited time left with Carl uh, Anthony Towns to really build a winner. And I think he also knows that he has limited time left on his own clock to uh, keep his job, basically. You see this cycle a lot is... You get a new GM, they kind of keep the old coach that was the interim coach when they got there. They kind of let them go for a little while while they try to build, as a GM, they try to build the team that they want. 
And if it works, great. If it doesn't, you have the perfect scapegoat right away of a coach. So you can fire the coach that's kind of from the old regime. Uh, and it kind of buys you a little extra time. It's that year zero kind of thing. And I think that's what we saw there is that Rosas is trying to build something. It so far hasn't worked great. A lot of the moves have been, we're not super sure about them. They still have a chance to play out potentially. So you fire Ryan Saunders, you get in your guy, uh, the quintessential your guy, um, the guy he wanted to hire supposedly in 2019. And now, now, now he's really on the clock, right? Like, and it's scary to me. This is the thing that I don't like is it's hard to build a franchise in a really quick amount of time. And that's kind of what's happening. And it's what continues to happen for the wolves. I mean, we've had, it feels like 12 coaches since um, Flip Saunders left and like the mid two thousands. Um, and I feel like that's just way too many. You don't have any continuity. You can't truly build to a vision. You start panicking. You start doing what Tom Thibodeau did, which is hemorrhaging the future. You lose guys that uh, are named Zach Levine and could be really, really amazing if they Ooh. stay with the team. Yeah. I don't know. A little all-star out of Chicago, uh, Zach Levine. Two-time slam dunk champion, I believe. You mean the Zach Levine that when he got drafted, he mouthed, fuck me. <laughs> <laughs> He's, he's still a good player, and I think he would have played here if we had kept him. Um, but so I'm getting a little nervous for this organization because it's like if you don't, if this Rosas thing doesn't work out, where does that put us? We're probably getting new ownership at some point. If you're like fully starting over with a new owner, new GM, new coach in the next three years, like is that is that reset going to happen in Minneapolis or is it going to happen somewhere else? And that's why I'm really getting nervous. Scary. Here's a scenario though: if there's a new owner, GM. Can we get that to be KG? Get him a little Jackie Moon action, owner, oh. player, coach. Your owner, your coach, but more importantly, your starting power forward, Kevin Garnett. Oh. I'd, I'd buy season tickets for that. Yeah, I'm a really aggressive owner. You know, I, I know we needed our washing machine, but I just thought this is a deal I just can't pass up. Corn dogs, Kevin. For all these people. Like, I think you make a lot of really good points, though, about the the sort of short-term vision. And I think you see that when you look at a lot of the Wolves' moves. You know, Levine's been in the news this week because he made his first all-star team. And so there have been some stories coming about the Wolves trading him and how the Wolves franchise actually liked Levine more than Wiggins. But at the time they traded for Butler, Levine was hurt. And they wanted to make the playoffs that year because it had been so long. So they sent Levine instead of Wiggins to sort of help them in the short term when the franchise liked Levine more in the long term. And then even the D'Lo trade, I mean, they they had to know that next year's pick was going to be a prime asset, but they were willing to give that up in hopes that D'Lo would be this spark plug, kind of, you know, everything's going to work out and we're going to win right away with him and Cat. And that hasn't happened. And now they're really behind the eight ball because they could very easily have the worst record in the league and still lose that pick. Then, you know, you're not building from year to year and you were the worst team last year. So as a Wolves fan, it's... It's very scary. My palms are always sweaty, but they're even sweatier right now thinking about the wolves. And I, so I'm starting to like, is is it possible as like a quote unquote small market team in the NBA? I think those do exist because it's not even about the cap. It's about kind of building your own team if you're a superstar and you want to build it where you can, you know, grow your brand outside of the game. So I get that people go to the coasts for that reason. Um but is it possible for a small market team right now to win with like a bona fide superstar? Or do you need to try to build a team that's more a group of like 
good player, like more consistent across the board versus having one guy who's going to carry your team. So right now it's cat, right? And he's like, you know, he's going to take up a majority of your payroll, but he's also this like ticking time bomb for an organization because you don't know if you're going to be able to keep somebody like that around if you can't build fast enough to get a winner. And you see that, like, I think the Pelicans are like a really good example. And obviously it worked out for them because they got sort of the NBA re-gifted them a first round pick in Zion Williamson, like a general generational talent. And I think, you know, Cleveland was the same way when LeBron left, they got Kyrie, but it, it feels like you end up doing again, like these sort of like short-sighted moves to try to appease one guy. And you don't know if they're going to change their mind in two years. Like Kat is saying, like he wants to build something for the future and that might be the truth right now, but it also might not be the truth in two years when his contract's up. That's what's scary to me. Yeah, it's a dark spot for the Wolves right now. I mean, if if you look, if slash when the Wolves lose tonight to the Suns, they'll have been 17 and 65 over their last 82 games. Since 2000, only seven teams have played an 82-game season and had a worse record than that, one of them being the 2010 Wolves. Oh. That's, oh, that's a, a sad, sad place to be as a franchise. I don't have anything more to say. It's just kind of a, a depression session here. You've now entered into a depression session presented by the Mini Market Podcast. So take a beat and feel the pain. We're with you. Are you guys excited at all about Chris Finch, this new guy coming in? Or is it just, I mean, the rest of this year is probably pretty much just written off, right? So like next year we can start being excited about him or when does, when does that start? Or maybe, maybe you hate the guy. I don't know. If you look at his track record, I think he's a good coach. And I think he has the potential to kind of like turn this team around everywhere he goes. The offense gets better. That's a good sign when you're supposed to be an offensive group and you're not scoring points. Um, so I think that's a good sign. I, in general, like the hire and I like Gerson Rosas. And I think that given enough time, he could build something really good here. And that's, that's my point is that I'm not necessarily worried about any of the pieces right now. I'm just worried about the amount of time that they're given to operate under. So I, I would like to see Rosas here for the next five years and actually give him a chance, have Finch and Rosas just commit to it. And if it works, it works. If it doesn't, it doesn't, but at least you give something a full shot instead of hitting reset halfway through perpetually. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, Finch is kind of the opposite of Saunders, who basically graduated from college, got a job with his dad, and kind of like stuck around with Flip until he was back in Minnesota and then was sort of gifted the head coaching job. Like Finch was coaching some team in London for a while, and he was hopping around in Europe, and then he was in the G League coaching a team. Like He's earned his stripes, so he's a guy who is well-respected around the league and has a ton of experience, which was one of the things that uh, that Rosas talked about during the introductory press conference. So I, I'm excited about the hire. One thing I found interesting about the last couple of days when there's been a lot of talk about the state of the franchise, Chris Finch has talked a lot about it. One name that has never, ever come up is Jarrett Culver. 
you listen to his press conference, he talked about all these guys, what he wants to do, you know, with Ant, with Jaden McDaniels, with Nas Reed, all these guys. Not a peep about Jarrett Culver, which I think is just so sad that the number six overall pick last year, he's in his second year in the league. And he's just forgotten about, like, you even hear Cat talk about how he's not complaining about fouls anymore. He's like, oh, you know, I need to need to be a good example for our next generation of leaders like Ant, like like Jaden McDaniels and like not a peep about Jarrett Culver. And it's just something I noticed over the last week and it made me sad. I'm not a Jarrett Culver fan. I think he's terrible, but it's just another sad point for the Timberwolves. It is funny now that you mention that just because like they're just so ready to write this guy off, apparently. If that maybe it's just a coincidence, but if I mean if what you're saying is true, that's yeah. You're wasting a lot of capital on a guy who's just you're just gonna move on from in a year, like yikes. But I mean that's that feels like a wolves <laughs> that just feels like a wolves move. My only one other thing on Timberwolves is for Anthony Edwards to really take off as a bona fide superstar in this league, he needs to start wearing lighter colored shoes. He only wears black shoes and they make him look slower than he is. And you'll never be a superstar if you look slow. Legendary Vikings coach Bud Grant made his players wear black shoes so they look slower. That's a true fun fact. Wow, that's wild. That's a good one from a bygone era. Anthony Edwards... Big Bud Grant fan. He belongs here. Long haul. Who'd have thought? <laughs> Let's see. Elsewhere in the Minnesota sports world, spring training is well underway for the Twins. Sad news. Uh, Royce Lewis tore his ACL day one of spring training. So that was kind of a bummer. Well, actually, he tore it slipping on some ice back in Texas, which is uh, something all Minnesotans can can uh, feel him on that one, but that's a tough break for the the Twins. Arguably their number one prospect hasn't played in over a year, and now it's going to be over two years until he plays in a full game. Lou, are you going to make fun of him for tearing his ACL, or is that just for pitchers? You know, I was about to, but it happened down in Texas, so, you know, freak scenario down there. Classic Texas winners. If he was living up here, then I'd, then I'd say something, but... Yeah, the other news story is uh, Byron Buxton's like 25 pounds heavier. Everyone says he looks like an absolute beast. So that'll be interesting to see if he maintains his speed. You kind of worry about him bulking up and losing that sort of X factor in his speed. How's, how's Miguel Sano's weight? Do we know? Have we heard? It's all there still. He could be up or down 25. Yeah, who knows? Yeah, no, I'm, I'm excited. I think, uh, I think there's a chance, uh, as we do every year, that Buxton might finally... Uh, finally put together a good year this year and maybe even hit for some power with all that extra mass, baby. I'm not worried about the speed. Remember uh, legendary uh, USA sprinter, Justin Gatling. That dude is jacked. So mass can still be speed as well as gas, uh, which is good to know. I Let think, uh, I hope those 25 pounds help him hit a slider. Cause if not, I don't think we're getting much improvement. <laughs> Lower center of gravity, you can really drive the slider the other way. You know what I've been thinking about the last few days about spring training? It must just be awesome to be a guy like Nelson Cruz, Josh Donaldson, some of these vets that have their positions just locked up. It's just got to be so much fun. Go down there, take some hacks, get in the warm weather, get yourself ready for the season, take your naps, do whatever you want to do. Maybe go play some golf. Who knows? I'm interested. 
And then there's, it's kind of fascinating that there's this other side, complete other side of the coin where there's these young guys who are just grinding, 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 living paycheck to paycheck, doing whatever they can just to get a spot on maybe even a minor league team. It's just kind of wild to think about that. But for the vets, it's got to be pretty nice right this time of year. It's a vibe. Yeah, no kidding. Speaking of the vets, I saw a quote from, uh, from Kirloff uh, this week. And he kind of talked about like the importance and how like fortunate he feels to be talking to like Donaldson and Cruz um, kind of about hitting. And I think his quote said something about like, yeah, if you ask Donaldson about hitting, uh, he's going to tell you everything he's ever known, whether he like it or not. Something along those lines, which was kind of funny. But I think that I, I really hope that that kind of leads to a to some good progression out of Kirloff. Like we haven't seen him a ton in the majors, but he, he his swing looks sweet and. I'm hoping that uh, kind of this work with with those big time players can help him progress into kind of the all star level outfielder we we were told he can be and we we hope he can be. Yeah, he better hope some of that sinks in if he's gonna take over Luis's spot in left. No chance. <laughs> Best left fielder ever. Yeah, it'll be interesting. Some of the reports coming out said like the Twins want to win now, so Kirilov might be on the opening day roster. But realistically, if you're trying to manage for the future, keeping Kirilov down for whatever it is, 30 days, and then calling him up in May, which gives you an extra year of control, like you're giving up 30 days as a 23-year-old to then get an extra year of Kirilov when he's 29 or whatever in his prime. So I don't know. It'll be fun to keep an eye on that. Do you guys think that players use that later when they're negotiating contracts and kind of get like peeved and like want to leave teams? Or do you think that's just kind of the standard in sports to, you know, put them down in whatever, maybe it's the taxi squad right now. Cause I'm not sure the minor league situation this year, but either in AAA or on the taxi squad, you put them down. And so then he has like an extra year of making less money. Do you think that comes up when they're, when they're kind of talking about negotiations and do you, do you think players would hold that against teams or is that just standard business kind of way it goes? Yeah. I don't know if it plays into salary negotiations, but I do think it definitely affects relationships between teams and players wanting to come back. Cause I think the last year of the Molitor regime, I believe that was the year Buxton was hurt kind of mid-season, and then he was pretty healthy by the end of the year, but they didn't call him up at the end of the season, and then that bought the team an extra year of control of Buxton. And I remember the reports at the time were like, he was pissed, because I don't think they were good that year. That was that might have been the year they were the worst team in baseball before they picked Royce Lewis, but he was pissed that Buxton was that he wasn't called up. So I do think it sort of affects the player-GM relationship. relationship. It's a weird trade-off. Mm-hmm. So with all the talk about Kaprizov this past week, and we've got Kirilov, some young guys, we were thinking, if you were to start a sports franchise and choose one current Minnesota player to build that franchise around, who would your choice be? So we thought this would be kind of an interesting debate topic. So Lou, why don't you start us off? If you were choosing one Minnesota athlete to start a franchise with, which one would you choose? You know, I thought about this for a while, and I think based on our current athletes, I'm going to have to go with Dalvin Cook. Just just looking at Connor's reaction. I here, hate I'll... it. I hate <laughs> it. Worthless. Uh, I'd love to, hear, love to hear it, though. 
I'm flat out choosing him because he is the most dynamic player on the Vikings roster. The team is just not the same when he's out. Yes, I know he has some injury history. He's got some, I mean, he hasn't played in 16 games in quite a while, but I just, having him on the field is a completely different Vikings team as we've seen than, than him not playing. And I mean, just having a dominant rusher just opens up so many more possibilities for the team. You can build the defensive style as Zimmer has, has been trying to do. The, the outside threats are not quite as important because, you know, everyone's keying in on the running back. So you, maybe we can get some steals like we did with Stefan Diggs. RIP, I miss you, Stefan. Baby, come back. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, I think it's just having, we saw it with AP, you can be successful in the running game without having those, these other studs. And it does give you more running backs are typically cheaper than say a quarterback. Some of these big time wide receivers that gives you more money to do, to do more things on the defensive side in the trenches. Um, you know, I'll say it, maybe even special teams, maybe get a kicker who can make a damn kick sometimes. What? Um, so, <laughs> Uh, yeah, I'm going Delvin Cook. Uh, I know that the league is kind of trending the other way, but with based on the Minnesota athletes we have right now, he's my guy. Got a zig when I zag. So would you be, if you were the GM of the Vikes, would you be building a run-heavy offense? Get a little uh, game manager in under the helm at QB? Teddy B? Maybe, maybe. Someone who's maybe doesn't not taking up $45 million a year and kind of crippling our uh you know our salary cap but yeah i think i i really love the offenses i'm i mean i've i've grown up watching the vikings and the west coast offense my entire life so i mean the play action pass just with a big big play downfield or hit the tight end over the middle that's what i like to see that's all i've really ever known so you know maybe i'm just scared to change i don't know <laughs> but i've grown up with adrian peterson and now I've got Dalvin Cook, so I'm pretty comfortable with Dalvin at the helm. And a lot of championships to show for it. Uh, of course. You know, we have how many uh, NFC title appearances? Maybe <laughs> just the one or two. And uh, we're doing well there. So it's clearly worked out for us. I, I re- Obviously, I respectfully disagree as I've made my stance on running backs <laughs> known. But I will say that to counter counteract your point just a little bit is like the only year that we really had a good year we had with AP in my opinion unless I'm forgetting something was Brett Favre like he was I would argue Brett Favre was kind of the reason why we made it to the NFC championship that year and so certainly certainly he was not a not a game manager yeah yeah right there so I think uh, while I I do see Dalvin Cook as a really good player he's a really good football player for me it's just hard to build around a running back because he might only get the ball a third of the time. So, but I, I do agree. He's a great player, phenomenal athlete. Connor, who would you take? Who would you choose if you were building the franchise? I mean, I talked about him earlier. I think mine's pretty obvious. I'm. I would go with Kirill Kaprizov. Um, he's he's easily the most exciting athlete in my opinion right now in Minnesota under the age of thirty. Um, you know, Nelson Cruz, I'm not coming at you, homeboy. You're still exciting. Um, but I like I kind of went through the choices and and I apologize if I step on anyone's choice. But I went through, you know, looked at Cat. He was one that obviously pops out. And I just decided he's a proven loser, um, given the whole Jimmy Butler saga and stuff like that. And, 
and the only time when we were good was with Jimmy Butler. So I just kind of feels like Cat might be part of the problem more than he is the solution at times. Uh, Justin Jefferson, talk about, a, I mean, exciting young player, but it's so hard to give it to, to build a franchise around a receiver. In my opinion, you kind of got to build around a linebacker, which I thought about what? Kendricks. I love Kendricks. Whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> Can we go? Yeah, wait. Can you expand on that? There's, a, there's no period or a quarterback, obviously. So I think if you're going to build around a defense, it's linebacker. If you're building around an offense, you go quarterback, in my opinion. You can't do it with a wide receiver, tight end, even for my, for my money, a, a quarterback. Jimmy Kleinsasser? If it's what? only, or I mean, sorry, in my opinion, a running back. <laughs> and it, if you can only get one player, you can't choose like a tackle. That'd be psychotic. Next, I thought about Buxton. He's got some serious upside, but he just feels like he's had injuries and inconsistencies kind of plague him throughout his career. He shows flashes of being like this player we thought we were getting and then regresses down to uh, being a pretty average hitter and, He's 25 pounds bigger, Kern. I don't know if you heard that. 20, yeah, we'll have to see this. Muscle, pure muscle. Um, lastly, I know I, I hate to give Daltz away, but I, I couldn't go with Randy Dobnak. He's a good player and all, but I just don't think I could build the twins around him like Dalton probably wants to. Um, I was close. My number two was Alex Kirloff. I love him. I'm big on him. I've only seen him play like five MLB games, but he hits the ball really well in the minors, and I think it's going to translate. I think... He had a 317 average with a 863 OPS in uh, about 280 games and over uh, 1,100 plate appearances in the ma- in the minors. So he was my number two. So you chose Dala Dala Kirill, uh just by default, it sounds. <laughs> there was yep, no one exactly. else. I went through, eliminated them all. No, I mean, he's just, I mean, you watch him skate when he has the puck it's like nobody can take it away from him. Like he's so skilled with the puck and he makes these insane passes that most people couldn't even dream of. Like he'll, you know, do it's like Patrick Kane stuff where Patrick Kane is spinning and then whipping a puck across the ice and finds a wide open guy for a clap bomb. And it's just incredible. He can create so much, but he also can score like his wraparound goal was super, you know, shoots one off the pad, grabs it, wraps around scores. I mean, he's just, He's he's just phenomenal, and he's so exciting, so fun. He'd be he's going to be a great face of the franchise for the Wild. So he's my guy. Let's just hope he's only like Patrick Kane on the ice, not off the ice. No. Ooh. Zaire. Well, so I prepped, um, and then you said current player, so I might have to go uh, try again because I had my guy circled. Anthony Bennett. It was a lock for me <laughs> as a guy to build a franchise around. Bonafide number one pick overall for sure. They make good Canadians. You ever heard of Vince Carter? Uh, he was the next one. So you might, Dalt, you go. We'll circle back to me. <laughs> if you took injuries out of the equation, I think I'd choose Byron Buxton because when he's on the field, I think he has the biggest impact of any Twins player in the last decade plus i mean he does absolutely everything now that he's hitting for power too 20 pounds up 20 pounds up he might be a 50 pounds but with injuries being such a question mark i don't think you can go with buxton a lot of the other impact players on the twins are either too old like you wouldn't choose a donaldson or cruz and then sano strikes out a little bit too much to really build around him and 
it's tough to build around a pitcher too when they're only there every fifth day. Like I get mm-hmm. the big Red. money that goes to Garrett Cole and stuff because it's for the playoffs. Like Red. once you get to the playoffs, they can throw every third game. But it's hard to say like I want to build around a guy who's only going to play 30 out of 162 games. Ask the Seattle Mariners how building around uh, an ace worked out for them. King Felix. You just waste a guy's career. I think I I think I heard, you know, he didn't he re-sign a minor league deal though. So he's got another shot coming back up. Well, it's basically a minor league deal. He plays for the Orioles now, so <laughs> yikes. He's never made a postseason appearance. Isn't that sad? It is yeah. sad. It's so sad because he is a top-notch talent in like our growing up generation. Like he yeah. was a dog. But man, they were bad. 20 years earlier, he would have been something special with those teams that Seattle had. But then I was going through the other guys, and I think I would still choose Cat. I get that he is—he's had no success over his career. Oh, but when you look Ooh. at the way the NBA is going, or has already gone, the analytics movement—it's shoot threes and get layups. And what does Cat do? Cat's the best three-point shooting big of all time, and he's got a great post game, threes and layups. And I think it's it's the same it's the same refrain that we've been hearing for years but if you can just put the right team around cat just get some shooters i i think you can build a successful nba team around carl anthony towns it's just been mishap after mishap in team management and we haven't had that but i I think i would still go with carl anthony towns oh yeah that's a that's a good pick i mean He's showing development as a leader too, I think, which is important if you're going to be willing to build a team around a guy. Um, he's starting to control his emotions a little bit better on the court, which is good to see. My only problem with like a um, a big man as your guy is like sometimes it feels like it's hard to get them involved. I don't know if you ever feel like that with the Wolves. It's like it's just hard to get him the ball sometimes as much as you would like. True. It's tough to like run them off screens and things. Like you either have to set up sort of a stagnant cat you go post up and everyone's spread out and we'll just pass you the ball or yeah otherwise like a pick and roll type of thing but you are right it feels like in the nba you yeah exactly what you guys are saying you almost have to build around guards or like wing players like that's the way it feels right because because it's so hard like you were saying to get bigs the ball that it seems like you just need to build around a, a guard or, or a wing I will say Denver's offense runs through Nikola Jokic, and they were very successful. Jamal Murray is also really good, but I think for any good NBA team, unless you have like LeBron, you need two really good players if you're going to be a legitimate good team. But I I think Mm -hmm. you can craft an offense around a big man, although you guys are right. It is more difficult than if it's a point guard or someone you can get the ball on the wing more easily. And that's a really good point to bring up uh, Jokic because I think Kat has similar vision on in terms of passing as Jokic, which is really important if you're going to be trying to run the offense through a big man. Like he has to be able to find people, and I think Kat's gotten really good at that. He's very good uh, passing out of a double team too. All right, Zaire, you're the only one left. Let's hear it. Okay, so I have one pick with a caveat. It's Nick Gordon. If we can give him some PEDs so we can make him good like his brother D, I think that would be my pick, final answer, if we're allowed to do that. Uh, Make steroids great again. (laughs) Similar to Dalton taking out injuries, I'm putting in PEDs. Um, (laughs) Yeah, have have at her, man. Have fun with it. Enjoy your time. Yeah, but if we can't do that, I'll just go Kirk Cousins. I've really come around on him. I really think Whoa. that he's the, 
No, no, we're not going to go with Kirk Cousins. <laughs> I'm going Ant Man. I, uh, I got, I love the dude. Like, I'm going purely as a personality. Um, if you're not going to be good, you might as well be entertaining. And he is that. I think his post game prefer press conferences are awesome you hear story after story about like his character and how well liked he's and how well received he's been on the team like I think if you're gonna have a guy who's gonna be your guy you want to like him you want everybody to like him I think that's kind of fun and um exciting to me and I I honestly do think he has a really high ceiling uh in terms of his encore performance again it's a shot selection but he has a nice looking shot they're gonna start falling when he shooting better shots, more open shots, more consistently. And instead of forcing stuff as much as he does, and he's talked about it once he gets his floater uh, game figured out, it's going to be dangerous when he drives because he is really good at getting to the rim. But right now that's people know that's all he can do. So they kind of like play to him. They know he's going to that left side. He loves the reverse. So he gets blocked on that a lot, but if he can get that floater going shot selection down, like he's a chance to be like a really dynamic player. Um, and I'd go with him again, just cause he's, he's fun. And like what this weekend with the Irish guy in the press conference, like that was super funny when he like, he was like, yo, what was that? Like, what was that accent? Like, I love that. <laughs> like, I want to learn how to do that. Something that was so funny. What, what do you say to, I know maybe this hasn't been a thing as of late, but I think early in the season, some people were saying this could be like Wiggins 2.0. Is that just blasphemy in your opinion? Like, is he just a way different player than Wiggins? Yeah, I do. I mean, I think he has just like a, a higher motor than Wiggins. Because Wiggins thing is like he's lazy, right? That's that's like one of the big problems. It's that on-court lazy where like Wiggins was like, it's not that he's not going to work in the offseason. He proved that he was always ready to play. Like he was always in shape, but then he would get on the court and go stand in the corner and like be disengaged. And then you get the ball and you like, there are some flashes of similarities when they have the ball and they're trying to do everything themselves a little bit. But um, I think Edwards is like, you, I mean, when you have Rubio talking about him the way that he does, when he's like, I love when this guy succeeds, like, I think that's a really good sign. Yeah. I, I mean, we'll see how it plays out. But if you asked me five years ago, if I'd take a chance on Wiggins, I probably would have picked Wiggins if I was in these shoes right now. Like he won rookie of the year. He was a really good player at the time. So he looked like he had a high potential. So maybe I'm getting fooled again and that would be shame on me. And can't get fooled again. Fool me three times. Can't get fooled again. So this is my last shot at it kind of. And that does it for episode nine. Thanks everybody for tuning in. This was the mini market podcast brought to you by Tell em Sports. Peace. I'll never get those 20 minutes back in my life.